This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. This episode of EM Weekly is brought to you by the Emergency Management Leaders Conference. This conference is going to be a must attend. The EMLC is bringing leaders together from federal, state, tribal, and local governments. There's two keynote sessions and eight planetary sessions. There's also a CEM workshop and some testing and also a career fair and much, 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 much more with lots and lots of opportunity for networking. This is going to occur on June 12th to the 13th at the Saddlebrook Properties in Tampa, Florida. The Emergency Management Leaders Conference is uniting leaders from both the private and public sectors in emergency management. For more information, click the link in the show notes or go to emlc.us. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. Recognizing that there needs to be a cultural change, a, a systemic change in order to incorporate everybody in these conversations about resilience. Hey, welcome to Ian Weekly, and today um, we're talking to Tiernan Doyle from Boulder, Colorado with a program called Boco, which means uh, Boulder, Colorado, right? Boco Strong. And uh, it's really kind of cool. It's a program that talks about disaster resilience inside the community. And you might have heard a little bit about it if you listened to the podcast in the past by one of our other guests that talked about the Boco Strong program. I was really intrigued, so I reached out. And today we have Kiernan Doyle with us. Before we get into the interview, I want to bring up the conversation that we are having in the forums.emweekly.com. The question is by Rick Dombrowski from Wasalia, Alaska. And he asked me about the new FEMA rules that are broadening access to disaster funds to churches. And I'd love to hear what you guys think about this topic. So go over to, if you're driving, wait till you stop. Go to your uh, office or your home or whatever your destination is and go to forums.emweekly.com and weigh in. Let me hear what you have to say, what you think about the expansion of disaster funds to churches. Now, let's get into the interview about Boko Strong. Tiernan, welcome to Ian Weekly. Thanks, Todd. I'm really excited to be here and very happy to have Boko Strong recognized. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about yourself and then how you got involved in your program. Sure. So I am an an accidental person in this field. Um, I started out actually as a spontaneous volunteer during the floods that we had here in 2013 and helped to start a nonprofit around volunteer management and um, helping neighbors connect to neighbors so we could all help each other when help could not be had otherwise. And so from that, I hope to start Boko Strong and have continued kind of rabble-rousing for community involvement in disaster resilience ever since that. Well, that's great. Well, first of all, I just want to ask a quick question. What do you define as a disaster-resilient community? That's a great question. We've had the word resilient become definitely a buzzword lately. And so for us, resilience as a as a whole is um, bouncing back and 
anticipating our risks, limiting the impact of those risks, and then being able to transform successfully to meet our changed circumstances. And so what we've really been working on with community resilience and also with disaster resilience as a subset of community resilience is using relationships to find skills in our community that will allow us to adapt successfully to any change circumstances, have the ability to transform ourselves and our communities in response to natural disasters, long-term stressors, and to recognize skills we didn't know we had and increase capacity through these relationships. So how did you guys start the Boko Strong program? So Boko Strong itself uh, was a subcommittee of our long-term flood recovery group. So we had a lot of subcommittees dealing with everything, finding housing during recovery, to case management, to volunteer management, and all your kind of regular committees that you have on a long-term recovery group. But one thing that we added in that sometimes appears and sometimes doesn't was community engagement. And so we wanted to be able to talk to all the different communities around Boulder County and build trusted relationships with those different communities so that they could access resources more easily. We have a very wide variety of topography and also culture within Boulder County. And so it takes a lot to reach out to all these different communities and make sure that they're being served in a way that's culturally appropriate and that they're getting the resources they need to actually meet the needs on the ground rather than just kind of mass application of resources, Mm. which has not been at all successful. So Boko Strong started out as that community engagement committee. And so what we did was we convened conversations with all of the flood affected communities around Boulder County and found that there were some common lessons that people had learned from the flood and that communities with um, strong connections between neighbors and also connections to nonprofits and to local government were much more successful in recovering after the flood than communities who didn't have those relationships. And so we decided that there's still there were still gaps and still a very great need to help foster those relationships and convene more conversations about what it really meant to be resilient and to build community um, connections even before the next event happened. And so we decided to keep Boko Strong going and build a multi-stakeholder coalition group that could Uh, kind of hold that big picture of needing relationships, needing connections, and work with all of the different uh, governments. Since Colorado is a home rule state, um, we have very specific governmental programs, and everyone has their own identity in all of the communities in Boulder County. And so having this collaborative group of Boko Strong allowed everyone to come and share resources, build partnerships, talk about what they were seeing, what could be efforts, which became a big problem after the the flood, of course. Didn't want duplication of benefit, but also people started kind of rebuilding the wheel in order to uh, process their recoveries in, in similar ways. And so we wanted to be able to really maximize our capacity by talking about what we were doing openly and sharing our lessons learned as we went through this recovery process. And so 
Boko Strong got a CDBGDR grant, the Community Development um, Block Grant for Disaster Recovery, to do um, resilience planning. And so we created four goals out of that to develop a local VOAD, um, the Voluntary Organizations Active in Disaster Network, so that non-governmental responders could be part of the that process for the next response and be able to better organize in our area because that was a big problem during the, the flood. Mm-hmm. And then um, we started a leadership program for community groups to identify what was working well in their areas and what gaps were still existing. So we were hearing directly from the community. Um, we had a resilient assessment so that we could, so we had a project coordinator who gathered all of this data and identified what gaps still existed and what projects we could take on next to strengthen our overall capacity throughout the county. And then um, we also worked to build a better network between organizations that were dealing in resilience, so kind of social service organizations, transportation organizations, and all of these different folks so that they could share lessons learned and organizational best practices uh, to deliver resources to people when and where they were needed. That's awesome. So I want to roll back here a little bit, and you talked about building community connections. And how do you use Boko Strong to build those community connections? So we've uh, used Boko Strong as a convener of conversations, mostly. Boko Strong isn't there to step on people's toes or to try and, and duplicate something that's already working but rather to kind of hold that bigger picture and help people step over gaps that are existing. So, for example, we have really strong mountain communities uh, in Boulder County, and they tend to be very individually motivated and have very separate identities. And so through the leadership Boko Strong, the, the leadership program at Boko Strong, excuse me, Leaders from those mountain communities came together and identified, for example, the, the need for a radio repeater tower in a place called Gold Hill, where the ham radio network was, uh, there was like a black hole in the ham radio network. And so they got a grant from Foothills United Way, which is part of Boko Strong, and were able to put that tower up, complete the radio network, and then train more ham radio operators and strengthen that whole amateur uh, radio emergency services network. So there were community connections built uh, within the mountain communities and then also from uh, community leaders to nonprofits, uh, Foothills United Way, and then also to local government representatives. And the mountains don't, they're part of unincorporated counties, so they Uh, don't always interact with a lot of government representatives. And so working through all of this with the flood recovery manager for Boulder County um, has also helped to build those connections there. So we've got kind of the trifecta of of community connections, those those neighborhood bonds, um, connections to resource providers of the nonprofit, and then also connections to local government. So do you guys do any community event type stuff or is this more somebody who's interested has to find you? How does that work? So it's um, a kind of a hybrid model. So we try to have the community lead for community events. So we will go and support, for example, there's a resource fair that 
uh, Longmont has, but led by the CERT members from the community there. And so we help support that and show up and, and do tabling there, for example. We host a Resilient Summit, which is an all-day event for organizations that are working on resilience or for any community leaders or community groups that want to participate as well. They can come and um, we have workshops throughout the day. We do community presentations so community members can highlight projects that they're working on so that, again, we can build those connections between local organizations, resource providers, and community groups as well as uh, policymakers. So we try to do a, a variety of things that are us showing up at other people's events to spread the resilience word, as well as hosting skill building events and networking events for people to share what they're working on. What are some of the challenges that you, that you all faced when you're putting this thing together? The answer to that question and more when we return from our break. Emergencies happen whether they're related to medical emergencies, threats of physical violence, weather related or other. One of the most difficult things during an emergency is to find help and quickly and efficiently communicate with all parties, regardless of whether you're an administrator, law enforcement, or the end user. With Titan HST, we help distort time by creating high-tech yet simple to use mobile-based applications that connect you with the people who can help you. At Titan HST, we believe in the power of people. The Modern Emergency Manager wears a lot of hats, so how do you also fit in the needs of your exercise program? It is a matter of time, and how much is your time worth? A lot. TTX Vault is the answer to getting some of that time back. We offer pre-assembled tabletops, drills, and functional exercises spanning NIMS, hospitals and healthcare, special operations, and more, all coming from the archives of the Blue Cell. Get a jumpstart on the exercise process and visit us today at www.ttxvault.com. Welcome back from that break, and thank you so much for listening to our sponsors. Without them, we couldn't really bring you uh, what we have, so check them out and let them know that you came from EM Weekly. Let's continue the interview. What are some of the challenges that you that you all faced when you were putting this thing together? Well, there were <laughs> there there are always, I think, challenges with collaboration. It's, collaborative models are becoming more and more popular, but still difficult for organizations to to do collaboration strategically, I think, and to identify what their needs are from the beginning and have everyone kind of lay their cards on the table and say, this is what I want to get out of this collaboration. And let's talk about how we can make this work for everybody. There's not really a functional acknowledgement of how collaboration is going to work. And so that's always a an ongoing struggle is we get all really touchy-feely about collaboration and I'm much more into the nuts and bolts of it. Like how, how are we actually going to make this a success for everybody and a compromise for everybody as well? So, um, you know, there's a lot of kind of charming people and diplomacy and, and especially when you have so many different sectors in the room, you know, governmental interests and nonprofit interests and, and community groups and definitely do not see eye to eye all the time. And, <laughs> stating the obvious here, but uh, luckily we've had some just some fantastic partnerships and, and people really committed to building this idea out. And one, one challenge that I am always very uh, aware of personally is 
is uh, just procedural. So you've got this talking about disaster response from the community side and from the emergency management side. I'm always in awe of our, our sheriff and our emergency manager here, but I see things much more from the community side. And so recognizing that communities, that disaster response has been something that has been going on for millennia. While emergency management has been, you know, becoming more and more professionalized and there, there hasn't been an acknowledgement on, on either side of, at least here, <laughs> just how, just how messy those lines are and how people are always going to be the first responders in their neighborhood. And so trying to shut them out of emergency response without acknowledging how they are responding in the, in the first place is creates a very difficult situation oftentimes. And so just reconciling those, those two different sides is something I think about a lot. And of course I have the perfect answer, but um, people somehow don't, <laughs> don't see it my way a lot of times. So, so we're still uh, happily trundling through those issues here. Yeah. I like how uh, Daniel Aldrich talks about the zero responder I, and mm-hmm. yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. I mean, I've been, most everybody who's been listening to this for a while, I know it's like, I came from the uh, uh, first response uh, world and I always mm-hmm. like to say, we were technically we're the second responders because the first responders are always the lay person who is there. And uh, so I do agree with you on, on that, that we have to do a better job as professionals to recognize that we need to train more people to be that zero responder, if you will. So I think that's a, a really good point that you just made right there. So say so what we we also are um, teaching classes about that about it. That's great. That's awesome. So the challenges there that you, you're saying is is really trying to build that collaboration and, and build the unity between organizations that sometimes is uh, is hard to build. And and how long did it take you to really solidify the Boko Strong in the community where it was a, a recognized. A brand, if you will, and that people uh, said, oh, yeah, I know what this is. And it's, it's something that we can uh, um, look at, too, with a, a positive light. So that, let's see, we had our first community conversations in starting in kind of March of 2014, I think. So that was quite a while, uh, I don't know, six months after the flood. And so it took us a, a little while to start building that brand recognition, but I have to say getting the CDBGDR grant really helped. And the key thing though, was having that multi-stakeholder partnership and steering committee that what did bring together the local government, nonprofit and community partners, because the networks that each of those people brought with them really uh, was vital for establishing trust in the community and getting the word out about what we were doing and how we were doing it. And looking back at at this process, is there anything that you guys would do different now uh, with hindsight being 2020? Uh, if and, and the reason why I ask this question is because if somebody else is trying to uh, maybe replicate what you guys have done, could they learn from that? Yeah, I think there. Well, there are def- there are a lot of things I would do differently, but the biggest lessons that we have learned are about involving vulnerable communities and how that needs to be done very thoughtfully and from the beginning. And it is difficult to 
sometimes start that process. So what we do is uh, we focus on cultural brokers, which are people who are bicultural, maybe bilingual, but they have a foot in two different worlds. And so they have trust built up with a vulnerable population, but they also have connections to people who uh, are making decisions or who are part of a different network and can kind of translate back and forth and, and be a bridge between those two worlds. And so in just this last year, we've had a spinoff of Boko Strong called Resiliency for All, which has been focusing on the monolingual Spanish-speaking community in mainly in the city of Longmont, but also throughout the rest of Boulder County. And just having those identify need for cultural brokers and the absolutely vital need for building bridges to our most vulnerable populations in a way that is, again, just respectful of culture and that is doing it right is really, really important because even after the flood, um, we've, we've had countless fires since then. We are just a wildfire area. And so during one of our fires, we had evacuation orders for community that had a lot of Spanish speakers in it. And so we had police going door to door shouting, policia, policia. And it was very, very early in the morning and nobody was answering the door because they were frightened. You know, they, no one was saying emergency, emergencia. They were, they were saying, this is the police, open the door. And it was just, they couldn't get people to evacuate. And so recognizing that there needs to be a cultural change, a, a systemic change in order to incorporate everybody in these conversations about resilience um, has been a longer process for us than in hindsight it should have been. Some really good points right there. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, the cultural sensitivity for everything is is uh, the way people look at things is really important to understand. So it's better for communication all the way around. So it's a really good point right there. Is this program able to be replicated, do you think, if somebody could take the blueprint from what you guys have done and just tweak it a little bit and replicate it in, say, I don't know, like Georgia? Um, I've actually had some calls from different places around the United States asking how and if they could replicate this and what our process was and what our documents were and all of the, again, those nuts and bolts pieces. And what I think is most replicable about this is that it is flexible to each area. So taking the, the stakeholders from the key players in your area, whatever nonprofits are most active, whatever governmental departments are most um, responsive to these ideas of resilience and community resilience, and then whoever or uh, whatever community groups or community leaders are most active in your area. Those are the key pieces and building these partnerships with whomever is at the table in, in each area is really vital. And just, again, making those connections between those different groups is what matters. And so I think that's what makes it also incredibly replicable to each area is because it is adaptable to context and adaptable to situation of any culture, any um, community, just building these connections in ways that works for each area. So basically, at the end of the day, realistically, the, the community that survives and rebuilds after 
an event after a disaster is really the one that's connected. And that's what the lessons that you've that you guys pulled out of it and sort of put the Boca Strong together. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah, I'm always preaching about connections and relationships. And it sounds very, very simple and obvious. But what I have found personally is that it's the most difficult thing to do. It does require constant updates as individuals come in and out of the area. It requires always gathering data, identifying gaps, checking in with yourself to make sure that you're not forgetting people who should be at the table and keeping that big picture of what matters. You are only as as safe, as resilient as, you know, your weakest member. Everyone needs to be included in these conversations. and, And it takes a lot of energy to make sure that relationships that are filling the needs, that are getting the right people to the table, and that are pushing everyone forward into collective future that is able to knit together these different skills and these different knowledge bases at all these different levels of community, nonprofit, business, government. It's work every day, but it's work that I think is absolutely vital. And it takes resilience lens and it allows us to look at the whole community approach from FEMA, for example, and make it much richer. It allows us to really push that out into the community and say, I'm not just going to pay lip service to the whole community response. This is us together, working together at all these different sectors to make sure that we are acting together, that we're in relationship, that we're sharing information, we're analyzing what we're doing, and we're getting the right people to the table at the right time. Do you think that the program like this would work in a large city, say like Los Angeles? Yeah, so there's, yes, I do. And I think it would uh, take a, a different, slightly different form. I think it would probably, you know, you'd have more subgroups to it. So you might have kind of different coalitions that are sending a representative to your multi, to your steering committee, for example. Uh, but we have a lot of, Again, just a lot of different areas in, in Boulder County, and we're pretty spread out. And we can still, um, as long as we have a couple people who are sharing this information and keeping this network engaged and sharing information, that's really the core of it. And so being able to draw all these different groups in, we can still share information and build relationships. And I think that that is replicable at different scales. You might just have some more intervening layers to it, but I do think it's possible anywhere. So if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, how would they be able to find you? So I am out on the internet. On, I'm on LinkedIn and, and Twitter at Tiernan Z. And I'm also happy to take emails, Tiernan at bocostrong.org at any time. And People can also feel free to give me a call if they'd like. I'm at 720-999-4981. Cool. And we'll make sure all that stuff is in the show notes as well. So if you're driving down the road right now and you have a pencil in hand, well, we, you know, no fret. Just uh, go to the website and we'll have that information uh, available for you. Okay. Here comes the toughest question of the day, Tiernan. What book or publication do you recommend to somebody who is really interested in this subject? 
Okay, so this was a really tough one for me. I, I love books, so I've been racking my brain about this for a long time. I adore Daniel Aldrich's work. I think it's fantastic. There are also lots of great emergency management books that I nerd out on. But I have selected, finally, A Paradise Built in Hell by Rebecca Solnit. And I did that because it is just um, a fantastic record of people being involved in disaster response and the community that arises after a disaster. That is the first time I've had or ever heard that one. So that is amazing. That's that's cool. <laughs> that's, that's, All right. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Uh, I'm going to have to look that one up myself and, and take a look at that. So thank you for that recommendation. Is there anything else that you'd like to say to community organizers, emergency managers who really want to start building that resilient community? I would just say, go for it. Just start talking to people. Just find anyone who's interested and start sharing ideas. It, there's no, no perfect answer. We're all very messy as people. We take information in in different ways. We give it back in even stranger ways. So I've been burnt out so many times with this work, but I am absolutely dedicated to the people that I work with and for, and I can't think of anything that I would rather be doing. So just always keep sight of yourself and yeah, build partnerships, keep talking and give me a call if you never need any one to vent to. <laughs> Jenna, thank you so much for uh, your time today. It was such a pleasure speaking to you and, and learning about what your program is. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity and it was, uh, it was really great to meet you. Love to have you back on sometime. Sounds good. Hi, this is Todd DeVoe from EM Weekly. If your company is in the emergency management and response space, EM Weekly is a place for you to advertise. Each week, we bring in experts in emergency management, response, and leadership from around the world, and they're here to share their best practices. Our listeners are eager to learn about new products and ideas, so this is the space for you. For more information, please contact Brian at brian at emweekly.com.